caught offside with Andrew Gunling and JJ Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught offside. Suburbs of New York City. An apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling. JJ Devaney. What's up, brother? New day, Andrew. New podcast. A um, little bit of breaking news. Oh. Uh, the independent supporter liaison officer for Manchester United has said that Joel Glazer will be attending the end-of-season fans forum. And it's an opportunity to put questions to him. I can't believe this. It's kind of, kind of interesting. I, sure I can't imagine what that's going to look like. A very civil <laughs> and polite... Do you think they'll, they'll put plants there? Like they'll have specific guys to ask him questions. Joel, <laughs> are you the most handsome of the Glazer brothers? And how did you achieve this? Joel, when you broke the world record fee to buy Paul Pogba. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. What a pod we have. Yeah. Oh, there's, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. All these seasons are kind of now reaching their conclusions one at a time. I mean, I mean it's funny, JJ, like, we're really almost not even going to mention Bayern Munich winning the Bundesliga today. That was such a foregone conclusion, but I will start the podcast by just saying congratulations to them on doing it again. It's become fairly routine. I suppose their fans still get excited about it happening. Um, The rest of German football less so. Well, yes. Um, So yeah, that's, that's really it from there. But like (laughs) some of these other, these other leagues that are reaching their conclusions, obviously Man City will have been made to wait. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about um, what was a, a very interesting weekend in La Liga at the top of that table. And we'll talk about what has gone on with the team that kind of had been the Bayern Munich of Serie A in Juventus and just like sort of like the the unfathomable that's going on with them right now in that league. And JJ, it is in fact... Jump to conclusions week for MLS. All of the just madness and crazy news over the last couple of weeks has pushed that, but we can push no longer because pretty soon we're going to be deep enough into the season where it's not really going to be jumping to conclusions. We're just going to start to have conclusions. So this is kind of our last chance to do it. (laughs) I think four four games in is a nice, it's a nice sample size for, for making some wild, wild observations. Uh, also, too, before we start, I was wondering if maybe it's time we think about rebranding this podcast. Yeah, I was thinking we get a new crest, mm-hmm. uh, preferably one without your face on it. Um, you know, that maybe... kind of happened. That did kind of happen. Yeah, <laughs> we had an old logo to this podcast. No one spoke to us, really. And then suddenly the logo was different and listeners were basically the ones alerting us to the fact that it had changed. <laughs> yeah. They, so they, we, we kind of know how the Columbus crew fans are feeling right now. Cause it sort of happened to us. Yeah. We got a much gen- a far lesser scale. Of course. Oh, we got a much more generic treatment on iTunes. We got literally ball in net. Right. But Stop. the old logo used to be our faces. It used to be our faces. Imagine, imagine the people at ESPN looking at that. Okay, need to upgrade a podcast, need to look at things, need to make it fresh. Oh, oh my God. Oh, they're heinous. No, oh. this can't do. Oh my God. One of them, is, is that a human bucket? Oh, no, no, no. This, this, this Can we do. superimpose bags over their faces? No? Uh, we'll just change the logo then. But we will get to the rebrand, which is not a uniquely American thing, in fact. It has, uh, it has spread across the planet. No, well, we've the- seen it in Italy. We have seen it in Italy with the aforementioned Juventus. How's yeah. that gone since the rebrand? Hmm. 
It's left much to be desired. Um, no, it's not uniquely American, but it is also quite American in this league specifically. We'll talk about that a little bit later on in the podcast. But JJ, let's first get to some of the big stories uh, from over the past few days yes. around the globe. Now, some of this stuff is going to change, of course, because there are there's a lot of midweek action. Uh, Manchester United are going to be playing maybe by the time you're listening to this. So who knows? Maybe Man City have won the title by the time you're listening. Should United lose today, that will be done and dusted. Uh, Barcelona are also in action today against Levante. So those are some things to keep an eye on. But before then, JJ, Manchester City, at least as of now, time of recording, uh, their title triumph has been made to wait at least a little bit longer uh, as Chelsea defeated them over the weekend. There's a couple things, a couple big things to talk about from this game. First, we have to start with the hilarious. And that is, of course, the Aguero (laughs) penalty. Uh, And I feel bad saying that because I do like him. Yes. And this is, you know, he's in his final days as a member of this team. We don't know how many more big moments he might have. It would have been a nice um, tying of the bow to his career at Manchester City should he have converted the penalty that may have gone on to being the, the winner for them. Uh, instead, he tries the Panenka. It fails spectacularly. And in watching it, it kind of made me think more about the Panenka as a thing. Right. You know, because we see it and, you know, oftentimes it it does work uh, and it looks cool. (laughs) But the more I was watching it and the more I was watching the replays, the more the thought just kind of settled over me of there is simply never a time where this is worth doing. Unless it's a friendly or an exhibition, then sure, have at it or testimonial. But outside of that, if I were, you know, as we've done this podcast over the years, I've kind of created my running list of things where if I were a manager, you'd be yanked out of the game. You know, if you don't do an in-swinger on a, on a free kick, um, player with back to goal, if you foul them in the box unnecessarily, like that kind of stuff, out. You're out. I don't, third minute, I don't care. You're gone. <laughs> the Panenka, I think, is now on that list for me. Again, even though it looks cool, like when Pirlo did it, uh, and, you know, it looked cool. Um, but even if you convert it, I think I'd say, okay, well, I hope that was worth it because you're out now. There's never a reason to do this. Oh, so never ever. So you have zero tolerance policy towards the Penanka. Yeah. Like it, it doesn't matter. I feel matter. bad saying that because, like, like I said, when it works, it's neat. But, like, why do it ever? Um, my, what I would say to you is this it, it was a, a poor shot selection, it was a poor penalty, but it was totally unnecessary for Aguero to apologize for it. That is that is also true, I suppose. Uh, I would like to apologize to my teammates, staff and supporters for missing the penalty. It was a bad decision and I take full responsibility. Now, Guardiola was incensed. Like he was incensed by it. But at the same time, Sergio Aguero holds such a position in the history, the brief history of, of Manchester City uh, or the current iteration of Manchester City, he shouldn't have to, you know, if, if, if he's running through towards the near post and the ball comes to him and he looks to back heel it in, are we having the same reaction? It's because a penalty is, su- is considered such, a, you know, a striker of his caliber should just step up and roll it home. And, but it was in a game that was really largely inconsequential. And there's no point saying otherwise. It really- Well, not for Chelsea. Not, not for, che- not for Chelsea. That's true. But we're talking about Manchester City. It didn't matter. You know, Aguero will not be playing. He will not be starting in a uh, in a Champions League final. We expect that he he is yesterday's man at Manchester City. He's moving slowly out the door. Uh, this is this is that retirement scene um, 
that we've seen in almost every movie where you're packing up your box and you're moving out the door. And he wanted to go with a little flair. He wanted to go with a little bit of style. And um, it didn't work out. But the apology is, I don't know. I think the apology is, it, it's too much. It's unnecessary. This guy doesn't have to do that. You're right. Um, it's unnecessary because like you said, he's, with all he's done at that club, he's built up enough equity where he should be allowed to make a mistake and not feel like he needs to apologize to his fans. However, you know, on its own, like in a, as we say, in a vacuum, I do think like it is an apology worthy blunder, but not for him. Does that make sense? Um, yeah. Like because of all the, like I said, because but I of all don't the good want, he's I don't, done. Who wants a world in which players are going out and they're so restricted that they, they make a mistake in a game and the next thing they're thinking, well, I better take to Twitter to, you know, apologize. Like, yeah, I think a mistake that, is one thing, but this is this was like a choice that was made. Right. I'm going to showboat here. I'm going to go with poor shot selection. I don't think you should do it. I think you should bury it. Just bury it. By yes. the way, it was blunder after blunder for him in that first half. If you, if you look at City's opener, it, it came about uh, from uh, Raheem Sterling because of a bad touch from Aguero. Aguero yeah. wasn't trying trying to tee Sterling up there. Did he get an assist on that? For real? <laughs> if he does, it's the most uh, most unworthy assist. I mean, again, there is there is a kind of sadness to what's happening though, because you know Guardiola is. I mean, Guardiola has been looking to move this guy on for a long time, but because by the sheer weight of his ability to find the back of the net. Guardiola could never fully move to a strikerless formation. And now that he has, it's right at the end of Aguero's time. And um, Aguero is, like I said, he's, he's yesterday's man for Manchester City. I'm fascinated by what happens next with him. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, he's not, he's not going to look, look at the trends in European football. He's not going to want to end up at a team where he has to do a lot of running. Let's be honest. That's not going to happen. So that straight away limits the field a bit. Um, I don't know. Maybe he's... Is he a kind of a? Is he a back a, to Argentina guy? Is he? Um, he's always. Is, is he's he always, like a Luis Suarez type, where you think it's over for him at a big club, but he winds up getting rejuvenated at another, like yeah. Suarez going from Barca to Atletico? Like, is that? Does he have that fire in him? Does he have that sense of of being wronged? Or like is this? A, or does this just have Inter Miami written all over it? It might. It might very well have Inter Miami written all over it. That's probably. Hmm. But he could like, a, or will he stay in the Premier League? Like, I is there he, like a you know a West Ham that feels like they could still use him and someone uh, someone like that? Do you not think it's now time for sunnier climbs for for Sergio Aguero? Not that he hasn't acclimatized to the Manchester Rain, but he cut such a lonely figure during the documentary two two and a half years ago. Uh, unless his personal circumstances have changed, I think he might want to go to back to sunnier sunnier climbs. Uh, also with this game, I mean, obviously, look, the, there's no hiding it. This is the this is the Champions League final uh, preview edition, essentially, with these two teams playing each other so shortly after they had uh, both booked their places in the final. And so the natural question is whether or not what happened in this game shapes your opinion of what could happen in the final. Now, uh, Thomas Tuchel was asked about this, and he said, as I've said before, the result will not change the final. However, JJ, he then said, yes. quote, we will arrive with the knowledge we are capable of beating City. This is what we have now, and this will not change until Istanbul. Now, they did already have that knowledge, uh, having beaten them in the FA Cup semifinal. But I think uh, doing it again in, in such a short time frame, it, it can only help 
from a confidence standpoint. I don't um, think um, I don't think it really has a, any bearing on the final. But I agree with what you said and and what Tuchel said that you know sometimes you look at Manchester Manchester City particularly in 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 the semi final against PSG and you think of the way that they play and you're overwhelmed. It is quite overwhelming. But this kind of takes a little bit of the aura off them, just a tiny bit. The fact that you can say point to two moments in the season where you've beaten them, you've got better, just might give you that little bit more. Now, the teams are not going to be the same. I'd expect some changes for, well, uh, quite a few changes for Manchester City, a few changes for Chelsea too. So 11 v 11, that's, that's not the way you'd analyze it. But if it just gives you that little percentage point. On the flip side for Manchester City, I wonder when you see the 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 sight of uh, Rodri stro- strolling forward with the with the football um, for the goal that was turned over for the equalizer, and Raheem Sterling not making the run that Pep wanted, and Pep just getting like frustrated, you know, screaming at Sterling not, that he didn't make the run, and Rodri throwing his hands in the air, uh, the Aguero his kind of upset at what Aguero did. Right, these are not players that are going to be starting in the final, but does it create even the tiniest little bit of dissent in the ranks, the kind, the tiniest little bit of, of an uncomfortable atmosphere, any little thing? And, and Guardiola, what, what, did he, didn't he say after the game, he seemed a little bit frustrated because of the, the non-penalty on Sterling, mm-hmm. but I think at one point he goes, it's 21 days. Like he had the exact amount of days written down until the final. So anything that makes Pep question or, or maybe seem a bit agitated might be an advantage to Chelsea, but we're probably reading way too much into it. Probably, but not definitely. And I say that only because of the man that you're talking about. Mm. Like this is in the, in the moments where he has come up short in the Champions League, it's generally been put down to this classic case of Pep overthinking. And so having lost to Chelsea two times so shortly before the final, could that be at play? Will that feed into him once again overthinking here? And I wonder about that. I, it, I don't know because what is he overthinking? He's overthinking Well, the players. way they want to set up. I would think that, yeah, you might have a point. Maybe in that second half, there was a couple of times where surprisingly for me, and, and Tuchel gave him a pass. Tuchel said he worked like a dog. But there was times in that second half where I'm like, if Timo Werner makes an effort to come back from an offside position here, you know, really sprint, get on and get back. He's in on goal. Mm-hmm. And I do think over the two games, the, the cup semifinal and the weekend's game, you know, the problem that Manchester City would have is when the fullback positions are 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 exited and there's that space for Werner to get in behind. That that would be when there's a turnover, when Tuchel can do those turnovers. So you might have a point. Well, they play such a high line, City, and that seems to be where Werner thrives. So if Pep changes that, is he is that overthinking or is that smart? Oh, he, but he can't change that. There's no there's there is no changing here. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't I there may be tweaks, there may be well, there was there against Leon. I know, but there he can't. He won't. He won't. He won't. <laughs> this is what they are. They will set up as they set up against uh, PSG in the semifinal. We shall see. Um, we continue now, JJ. Let's move to Spain. Uh, last weekend, was, it was kind of billed as like the potentially table-turning weekend in La Liga, but in the end, the status quo remained. A draw for Real Madrid with Sevilla in a pretty thrilling game, 2-2. 
and a nil-nil draw for Barcelona and Atletico Madrid, which, by the way, I would also say, at least me personally, I found to be a fairly thrilling game in its own right. No one I, scored, I, but there I, was a there was not a shortage of action. No, I enjoyed it. Can I ask you about the... the I thought in the first half, Atleti were pretty good, and I thought, apart from that slaloming messy run, Atleti oh. dominated. Oh, By the way, you thought that was going in the top corner. Ray Hudson was yeah, on I was going to bring... There's Ray things was ready that, to go. If this podcast had the what is it the explicit rating? There's something I want to say about Ray Hudson when Messi is making that run and it's building, and he then doesn't score, and it's a thing that then may happen to Ray Hudson that I'm not <laughs> sure if I can say a case oh. of something. And oh, I'll just okay. leave it at that. Oh, I I think people can figure that out. We're all adults here. <laughs> all of our listeners are not adults, but whatever. Um. Yeah, and I thought Atleti were decent going forward. But I don't know, was it the time of the day? Uh, this felt like this should be a game at night, but there was the shadows of the stands on the grass, and it looked hot. And every time Atleti got into the box, they just seemed ham-fisted. Do you know what I mean? It seemed so clumsy. Like, Correa had that great chance. It was blocked. I understand it was... You can put that down as really good defending, but I thought... I thought every time they broke in, Suarez in particular, the finishing, they, it's like they lost their power once they got into the box and the finishing was shoddy. Uh, Barcelona had their chances in the second half too. I think it was a, a header from Dembele. Well, how did he not? At I, least he can put it on frame. It's a free header. He's running. He Jordi, Alba, Jordi Alba places it perfectly for him. Uh, and I mean, nine times out of 10, the net is rippling with that. I, I was one of those where when it went over the bar, I just kind of thought, Wow, yeah. that was but I, that was fortunate for Atletico. I, I kind of have think that he, the sun got it in his eyes a little bit when he like he he rose perfectly and he met it like full. It's not like he fluffed his lines. He, if anything, quote he did it. He made too much of a, a good contact with it, but whatever, flew over the bar. Uh, I I actually enjoyed the game, but yeah. I do feel like Atleti left something on the table there. Well, they obviously left something on the table. Um, I think um, if you're to look at the weekend, considering that Madrid rescued a point that they were losing until the, the fourth minute of time added on at the end of the game. I think, I think I'm putting this down as, as a bad weekend for Atleti rather than, um, than anybody else. That well, was the myth. Really? That's interesting. Of the three, to me, it felt like Real Madrid are the ones who, if you were going to say this was a missed opportunity for somebody in particular, they would be the one that I would say that about. Yeah, but that was pretty much what they would have wanted to have happened. Sure. And then it was all on them. Um, and look, Sevilla are, are really good. And I think Julian Lopetegui is actually proving to be a really good manager. Um, so he, he had proven that already, but like then all that stuff happened to him and he kind of had to rebuild his reputation. And I think he's doing that. Oh, I think so too. It's so strange though. I got a, It's a few months ago and I got into a Twitter argument with a Sevilla fan who hates him. Really? I, I don't I wonder, understand it. I wonder if they still, I mean, do they still feel that way? That would I, think, be... I, I don't know. I don't know. I can't, I, if they're listening, let me know. But I, uh, I, I think he's done an excellent job there. Um, but to no, me, th they're the ones that I think would be looking at this saying, oh, yeah. And I'm playing could have taken control here. I'm playing hindsight here with this because I'm looking at the game after it happened, you know, being 2-1 down in the 90th minute. That's definitely a point yeah. gained rather than a point lost. But going into it, absolutely. 100% right. It's a, it's a missed opportunity for Madrid. And, and on we roll. At least we're going to have some intrigue right to the end, it seems. So the SPI, for oh. those who uh, take this seriously, according to 538, right now, um, Atletico Madrid, who are in first on 77 points, they're given a 56% chance of winning the title. Real Madrid are, are second right now 
on 75 points. They have, though, just a 19% chance. And then Barcelona also on 75 points, but losing the tiebreaker to Real Madrid. So that's weighted um, against have the 25. Teams, that's weighted against the team's respective schedules going into the end. Uh, you know, I'm not a maths guy, but uh, that seems like a fair drop off considering how tight things are from Atleti to Real's chances. Yeah. And then Barcelona, their chances are slightly ahead of Real Madrid's at 25%. All right. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I don't I'm not going to waver. I'm sticking with Barca. So am I. I just, I don't know. Like, it's not that I'm a Barcelona fan, but God, I'm kind of like a messy fanboy. And I sort of just, I kind of just want to see him do it. You've even started um, shaping your beard. Your beard is quite messy-esque. It's got first that of all. Of- I think my beard has looked like this longer than his has. Right. Mm. Now my sleeve of tattoos that I've recently gotten, <laughs> that's another story. Um, but yeah, this, this will certainly be fascinating to watch throughout the remainder of the season. Um, JJ, let's go though to Syria ah, where it was. So I, I guess it's, I should say it, it's never a good sign. You log on, you know, you go on ESPN FC and you're kind of looking at the stories and, the first story there you see uh, late in the day is, oh, wow, AC Milan 3-0 uh, knocking Juventus out of a Champions League place for the time being. And you scroll down a little further and you see, oh, there's Juventus again. What's this story? Oh, in danger of being expelled from Syria. Ah, And it's just like, can a team have, can, can a proud club like that have like a worse day with these like multiple stories snowballing at the same time against them? It's just like, if you're a Juventus fan right now, you know, you've you've had a lot of good days. There's no question about it. But this is this is really low right now where they are. Um, fill me in on this, and this is as I understand it that Syria changed their rules, or they added a rule saying that if you try to break away or get yourself get yourself involved in a breakaway league and UEFA sanctions you, you can be expelled from every single tier of professional Italian football. So they basically have to renounce. There, I guess there's a date where they have to, like, you technically have to sign up for like the next year um, in the Serie A championship, they have to whatever recant. it's called. Isn't that, isn't so, that the term well, from the Reformation? They, if they are to sign, I think they have to like renounce the Super League to be able to sign up for the next season of, of okay. Italian league play. Um, <laughs> and if they don't, then they will be left without a home. Um, I don't know what they're trying to prove here. Serie A is not going to bend for this um you know no, we've, seen how, we've seen how harshly juventus has been dealt with before uh, when they've broken rules and uh, you know, when they were sent down multiple tiers in, in italian football so uh this uh, if this is a game of chicken the league is not gonna blink and they will be expelled i don't look there's just no way that i that that's gonna happen like what what does that even mean uh, yes. Will they just spend a year on tour, like playing like, you know, testimonials around the world? Like, what will these players, what is Cristiano Ronaldo, what was he going to do? What is Weston McKinney going to do? Quadrat, like it's, so I don't know. I, I, I almost don't even take that story seriously. It's that kind of like fantasy world stuff to me. And also, but what, what, you know, we talk about recanting, renouncing, what form must that take? A club statement? That is then stamped. Well, by essentially, no- look at what the English clubs have all done. Right. You know, they have all removed. Like, doesn't so mean Barcelona, Real Madrid, and Juventus are still technically a part of the Super League. Yes. Like, I don't. They are still like not letting go of it. Um, and until certainly, I, I don't know what the rules are right now in La Liga with regards to Real Madrid and Barcelona. But um, 
at least with Juventus, if they don't let go of the Super League, then they'll be expelled from domestic play and UEFA obviously uh, play as well. You asked an I interesting. You asked an interesting question on the rundown. If we were power ranking the most disappointing teams in Europe this season, they've got to be at the top of the rankings, don't they? So I did that. Okay, can I guess? Do you, how go, deep does your list go? I just goes. It goes to. I go to four. Okay. So and, and the fourth one is just a bit of fun. Not a bit of fun, but I wanted to throw it in anyway. So, so being the, being the way I worded that, I mean, obviously, it, it tips my hand that I, I would say Juventus would be. I've Celtic one. and Juventus together at one a joint number one okay because um, i think celtic celtic's collapse has been so abysmal too so i'm a little bit surprised knowing you that you have celtic above psg i have psg at number two because the season isn't over yet and potentially psg could still win the league even okay. though and it would still be winning the league and being in a champions league semi-final which is not as bad as what happened to celtic okay that's fair. At number three, I have Liverpool. Whoa. Oh, I guess I'm done guessing. Wow. Yeah. Well, I, I, I just thought I'd tell you. And at four, I have uh, Derby County because at the weekend, Derby avoided relegation in a, the most thrilling fashion. A 3-3 draw with Sheffield Wednesday that sent Wednesday down. Okay. And they've been teetering on the precipice for a lot of this season and they get to stay up on the last day. But oh no, there is an EFL investigation which has been upheld into financial fair play which means derby are subject to sanction and could be relegated from the championship anyway imagine that going through all that live drama and then oh no it doesn't matter you're going down anyway it's easy being a fan isn't it (laughs) um one note on juventus as well i wanted to talk about before we get off them well, we should mention the, the performance against AC Milan. Yeah, but yeah, but this is pre-AC Milan. Before we okay. get to the performance, uh, Pirlo was talking about Weston McKenney, <laughs> and he was asked whether McKenney would start. And this was the quote. He has a chance of starting. He has lost weight, and that's something we had to drill into his mindset. Now he's concentrated and more professional compared to when he arrived. He has to be professional at 100%, not 50%, mm-hmm. said Pirlo which flies in the face of his early start to his career at uh, Juventus, where, honestly, could the garden have been much more rosier, Andrew? For McKinney? Yeah. I thought he was, he, he started brilliantly. Um, you know, all the talk was how quickly can we sign him permanently from Schalke? And then that got done. And now we see, uh, we see these kind of quotes, which I think is, it says a lot about Pirlo as well. And the pressure Pirlo is under, um, because all of, all of a sudden he's Weston McKinney's not a good professional. Well, he didn't say he's not necessarily saying he's not a good professional, but this is a young player, more professional, who's, professional. who's experienced a lot of success quickly. And you know, there could it be just like managerial tactics to keep this guy in check? Uh, it's not you know wanting him to lose weight. I don't think these are things that are crazy. I'm a little surprised that Pirlo would be so public about it but but does it not come back to that this is a manager that's floundering and he's just kind of looking trying what trying whatever he can uh you think about think about Pirlo's appointment even so i i am i am one of these people andrew i don't know if you're like me when i see big business multinational business big corporations and big football clubs i automatically default that everything they do is well thought out. Not everything, but it's thought out, it's thought through, and that there's like lots of consultants and lots of, you know, they, they form these uh, 
think tanks and that there is long-term thoughtful planning goes into it. But if you look at the way, go back to when Pirlo was appointed, like the week before he got the main job, they made him under 23 coach. And then they decided, actually, let's just make him the, the full head coach of our football club, of our massive organization. And he's never managed a professional game in his career. Like, I don't think there's been a weirder hiring process since Charlie Bucket took over as Willy Wonka's, uh, the owner of the Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. That was a bad hiring process. I don't care what anyone says. Even if it does work out, that's not how you do it. Are you talking about Juve or Wonka? Wonka and Juve, running the same way. Um, Yeah, I I would agree. And it was one that was questioned in real time. It it always felt like a weird appointment. Um, So, yeah, I I fully agree with you. And I think that this, um, you know, you see what's happened with Pirlo. You see what's happened with Lampard. Like, this has not been a banner year for club legends coming back to try to take their club to new heights. Uh, now, I will say with regards to the event is and with what happened over the weekend against AC Milan, 3 0, mm-hmm. and that's with AC Milan having missed a penalty as well. Really could have been 4 0, could have been 5 0. I mean, AC Milan were that good and Juve were that bad. Yeah. It was a horror performance from Chiellini. Uh, Ronaldo was just like as, as anonymous as I've ever seen him. Um, it, was, it was bad. And you just like, even when Pirlo was announced as manager, you never saw, I don't think anybody ever saw this, you know, okay. Like maybe they won't maybe, you know, okay. The, the champions league may be tough for them with this, with a new manager balancing that with Syria, ah, trying to win another title. Maybe they'll fall off there, but like not qualifying for the champions league, which is not done yet. We shouldn't say that they're still no. right there. Napoli played today as well. So we'll see what happens in their match. Um, but like the fact that Juve were going to be in a life and death struggle at the end of their season, to qualify for the Champions League was not a thing that I would have seen coming. No, it's 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 really from this from their involvement and their involvement from them pushing so hard for a Super League to just the way the season has gone on the field. It's a complete unraveling of the club. Now, like if they sneak into the Champions League, that will that will ease a lot of ills uh, for for the medium uh, term. Sort anyway. of, sort of, but not not entirely. Um, yeah, crazy. Absolutely. This this was not like Ronaldo going to Juventus. Like this was never how the script was supposed to go. But also, you know, you look at the look at the way the club has been constructed and the club has been built all around this this one aging, albeit very productive, aging superstar. Not just like look at the money that's gone into it. Could that have gone somewhere else? Could it have been spread more evenly around the team? You know, it was of course. It, it just seemed like short-term planning to, to kind of get them over the line in the Champions League. And, and now, now everything's falling apart. Yeah. Yeah, not good. Um, not good. Let's move now back from Italy to England, JJ. The race for the top four. We'll look at that quickly. Uh, and then we'll get to our jump to conclusions week. Um, Leicester City, they, I mean, they couldn't do, the, they couldn't do it again. Right. Like the, the blowing the lead, what was once perceived as a safe lead. And it still does feel safe at, at five points, the gap between them and fifth. But you see them starting to lose to Newcastle in, in situations that we would deem to be must win. And you can't help but think that, like, you know, maybe they did enough throughout the course of the season to have built a, a cushion 
where they they can do it again in terms of their own performances, but the teams around them and below them won't be able to do enough to catch them. But it's got to be, if you're a Leicester City fan, it has to be at least a little bit discouraging. And then you look at their three remaining matches being against United, Chelsea, and Tottenham. Um, and it's, I mean, of the teams in, in competition for these top four spots, it's by far the most difficult run-in that any club has. You know, that 4-2 defeat by Newcastle, everything just seemed to go wrong from the get-go. Johnny Evans pulling out in the warm-up and then Soyuncu. I mean, it was brilliant play by Willock to finish and to nip around him to score. But at the same time, it was such a massive mistake to make. You know, I'm trying not to be too hard on Leicester, Andrew, because I had a look at their injuries and, um, you know, over the course of the season, like Soyuncu, uh, he's been out for a while. Then in March, Fafana was out for a little bit. Uh, they've had Ricardo Pereiro miss pretty much all half the season. You know, they Vard, have had, Vardy missed some time. Yeah, Vardy, Vardy missed l- less than I thought, but he did miss some time. Um, I, I, Harry Barnes as well for a little bit. James Madison for a little bit too. Yeah, It's been a lot to absorb for them. So I'm trying to... I, we had a, a listener contact us who said, uh, you know, are they bottling it again? And bottling is one of... I'm sorry to bring the term up, but it's one of those phrases that kind of have come into into football parlance. And now it qualifies as any time where you're doing well and then you fall away. You bottled it. And it suggests some kind of not tactical. Choking. Not, it's British for choking. I know, but it's, 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 it's not fair, I think, for Leicester. I think if you look at last season, I, you, you can give me the reasons injury-wise why things kind of fell apart towards the end. Mm-hmm. If you look at um, this season entirely, you can say there's good reasons why maybe... Leicester have been completely um, out kicking their coverage with, with this finish that they're going to, that they possibly will hopefully hold on to. Maybe they're doing really well, despite all these things. They're in an FA Cup final and they've got this, you know, they've held on to this spot so far. Maybe I, I, I wanted to come into this and not be hypercritical. And I don't like the idea of bottling it. I think there's legitimate reasons why you know, why things went the way they did. Like they had to go to three at the back against Newcastle. And there was just all this space for Newcastle on the counter. So you got pulled out of position several times. It was just, it was a mess. Now, hey, Brendan Rodgers, you're supposed to be tactical genius, really cerebral coach, figure it out. I just think that was an aberration. I still think they should hold on. And they've got Manchester United. We have to see how that goes. How United have two games in three days. How are they going to weight their team? How are they going to balance things out? Maybe this is the game that they say, ah, Liverpool's too big of a game for the fans. And considering the way the things have been with fans lately, we, we must appease them. We must make sure that we do our best against our biggest rival. And that opens the door to Leicester closing this out. Am I being too soft on them? Maybe I am. Um, the only re- No, look, you're being very practical. Uh, I mean, these are a lot of the things that I had said last season about Leicester City as well. Injuries matter. Like there are reasons and excuses and and the list of names that you just mentioned that Lester have had to weather the storm uh, of being out this season is significant. Uh, the only reason you're being, I think, a little bit soft is because, OK, it's one thing to lose. It's one thing to draw against inferior opposition. Mm. Being down four nil against Newcastle in a game that you have to win that like I, I don't know if I can just let them off the hook for that. Um they did show fight. They got it back to 4-2. There was a moment where I thought, I almost thought they were going to go come back and do it with yeah. the way that they were playing. If that game were like 10 minutes longer, I sort of was wondering, like, could this be And even though it doesn't, 
even though it didn't suit our teams, I was willing for it. I wanted it to happen. <laughs> I mean, it was it was pretty exciting to watch. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I give them credit. They didn't just, you know, roll over. Uh, but again, 4-0 to a team that we have mocked repeatedly throughout the course of the season that just can't generate anything typically right. under Steve Bruce. Um, I know that's been a little different of late. Newcastle have, have done a good job ensuring the fact that they'll stay up this season, but like it's still Newcastle. It's still who they are. Yeah. So that, I can't fully let them off the hook for that. Um, but Did ultimately you... I, I do, I do agree with the, the point that you're making. And I do also agree that I think when it's all said and done, they'll, they'll stay up. Did you uh, read Jonathan Nordcroft's interview? with uh, Brendan Rodgers ahead of the FA Cup final next week, no. the Sunday Times. No. It's, um, it's been flying around, Andrew. Can I read an extract? Sure. One of the first meetings Brendan Rodgers held at Leicester City involved the club's cleaners. A corridor at the old training ground, Belvoir Drive, was partially blocked by a pile of boxes. Rodgers told the cleaners, your role is vital at this football club. It is you who look after the environment we work in. If you could find some way to move these boxes, it would be incredible. The cleaners were delighted. They had long wanted to hear to clear the corridor, but were told that the boxes were important. Do what you feel is necessary, Roger said. If anyone complains, send them to me. The cleaners felt 10 foot tall. Um, why does he say these things? Why does he... Why does he... Like, there seems to be a lack of self-awareness here. That's not a good anecdote. And it's, it's just over the top. Like, I definitely think good management is making every person in your organization feel included. Yes. And that's why I don't want to make fun of him. Because you can tell, <laughs> I do. Even, even in moments where that feeling manifests itself in kind of a humorous way, like, you can tell that one of his core beliefs of leadership is to treat people that way. And it's and to me, it is admirable. And isn't it is something it, that I like about him. Isn't one of his core beliefs also to tell everyone what his core beliefs are and to make them know? <laughs> you know? Like, I just like the idea of, like, again, like, I love the idea of making, no matter who the person is in right. the organization, make them feel important. Make them feel sure. like what they do is critical to the overall success of what we're doing here. I love that. I really like. I really find it admirable I, about I him and and that idea, but like, I also like the idea of of trying to get people to do things for you by talking to them that way. Yeah. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna like I I wonder if I go into work today, like, and there's just some assignment that I just like, I'd rather die than actually have to do, like some right. kind of like busy work nonsense, and there's just some guy near me. Like, can I use that approach on everyone in my life and just be like, hey, you know, like all the like when, when I interned once at a radio station and like they were moving from one location to another. And so okay. my job as an intern, literally this happened, was to go uh, into the dumpster. This is in like 95 degree midsummer Philadelphia heat, <laughs> go in the dumpster and stand in it. And when trash is brought down from this move, you sort it from the regular garbage bin to the cardboard only garbage. What? Bin. Are you serious? I'm deadly serious. Why was this something? That it was the kind of happen? thing where like, if I was going home the day before and like the guy who was kind of like overseeing the internship, he'd say like, before I left, Oh, by the way, don't wear nice clothes tomorrow. I'd be like, Oh, great. And then you immediately check the weather and you're like, Oh, cool. 97 humid. <laughs> awesome. 
so old like, dumb, so like old dumpster Andy. So yes. had he handled that differently, like he was a good guy, but he would just say, don't wear nice clothes tomorrow. And I'd oh. be like, oh. had he been like, this company is making a vital move. We can't make that move unless you stand in that dumpster and you sort the proper garbage. Because if you don't, we will be unable to leave and this business will be unable to thrive. You are vital to what is happening here. I might've been like, you know what? Yeah. Get me down there. Let's go. Let's go. But instead it was like, hey, don't wear nice clothes. Andrew, okay. you're a very important part of this football club. They want you to stand in the bin and show tremendous character. <laughs> stand in the dumpster, Andrew. <laughs> that happened. Oh, all right. We're going to finish with one more because I do think whenever Brendan is reaching a peak in his career, these he he it's like it's like success on the football field is, is alcohol. It loosens his tongue. It, 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 it makes him less inhibited. And so he says things. And so it's only, it's only a couple of weeks ago. And I had to check this out. I heard this on several podcasts. And I had to go and check it out that this was something that he said to somebody else. Even if it happened, why would you share this? The story is about John Terry. When Rogers was a coach at Chelsea, Terry was going through a bad time personally on the field wasn't working out his form was dipping and so Rogers wanted to get in here and tell him how vital he is to Chelsea football club at this point I'd say people had realized that John Terry was pretty important but Rogers wanted to go the extra step so Rogers asked a friend of his who is a poet because of course Rogers is a friend that is a poet mm. to write a poem extolling the virtues and how good a player John Terry is Rogers found out what John Terry's color scheme was in his house and had it framed and he, he presented it to him to say how big an important player he was to Chelsea and he had to look after himself. Wait, uh, do you have the poem? No. no oh, no. I thought we were building to that. So it was on the Robbie Fowler podcast. And if I remember correctly, Robbie Fowler didn't ask for the specifics of the poem, but I wanted it so badly. <laughs> Oh Surprised you didn't write some kind of like Dr. Seuss version. Oh my God. Do you know what I would love now? I would love if our listeners can make Andrew an old dumpster Andy poem. Like what would be the poem that you would give to Andrew to inspire him to be in the dumpster in 97 degrees? And by the way, feel free to not use me as a, with that nickname. Old dumpster Andy. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, that's our Brendan. Um, quickly, also looking at some of the other top four stuff. Look, Tottenham, they, they've essentially sealed their fate. It's just, it's not happening for them this season. That's not even really what I wanted to talk about. Um, it was, it's instead, you know, we, we say all the time on this podcast, JJ, the transfer rumors are kind of just like, like we know they're out there, um, but there's so many of them and it's kind of dealing in silliness. So oftentimes we kind of just let them be until things really start to heat up. And we've done that with Harry Kane. I don't know if we've really talked about that on this podcast, but I feel like it's starting to heat up more and more. Uh, there's reports that Kane is, is almost begging Daniel Levy to listen to offers this summer. Uh, it, it's kind of getting to that point now. And I would say even as a Spurs fan, um, should he leave, obviously it will be crushing. It will be hard to watch him suit up for another team. Like, sure. But also I get it. And I would never, I'm at a point now where I would not hold it against him. It'll set Tottenham back. Um, but like, I get it and it's, it's all good. But I came across this from Alan Shearer on BBC match of the day. Somebody who 
has been he's been in some pretty relatable situations to this for Kane. And um, here's what he spoke about with uh, with Gary Lineker. They were talking about this situation. When I left Blackburn after the yeah. I had a season after we won the title, and then we were nowhere near winning the title, and that yeah. sort of made my mind up yeah. because I wanted to then to go on and and try and do things. So. If Harry wants an excuse, mm-hmm. then Tottenham and that team are giving him one because they didn't show up for the cup what final. Would you, what would you do? They didn't what show up again today. What would you do if you were Harry Kane? Uh, if I was in his position, I'd yeah, leave. I would go and I would go and look to uh, to yeah. look elsewhere and try and win some trophies. Yeah, okay. Which is sad for Spurs fans, obviously. Mm. Obviously, indeed. Yeah, it's it's interesting because um, you know. Shearer won the Premier League at Blackburn and then decided to join a Newcastle team, which was his boyhood team, but was a really good team at the time. And I'm sure he thought he might win Premier Leagues under Newcastle, but that wouldn't be the case as the years rolled on. Um, uh, he, and he turned down Manchester United several times. Um, I, I think I, it, it doesn't surprise me that Kane's desperate to go. Um, if you look at Kane as well, it's interesting. I'd say he wants to stay in England because he's 164. Premier League goals, he's a uh, hundred and something behind Alan Shearer. Alan Shearer's record is two sixty. Surely that's something Kane would like to like to aim for. That will be even harder to see. Like I've always hoped, like go to Real Madrid, like get uh, like go, but go somewhere where I don't have to be like subjected to it on a on like a daily basis. Um, so who do you think's front of the list? United. I mean, there's only uh, so many teams in England can will no, be able it, to. It's United and it's City. Um, I don't envision, like, obviously Arsenal. No, just simply no. Like, who are the other of the big six? Like, I don't, I don't envision Liverpool. I don't envision Chelsea with the money that they've spent. Um, you can rule so, City out too. I, I mean, don't. You Pep think Guard- so? Pep Guardiola is turning down world class strikers left, right, and center. Haaland, no. Aguero, no. We'll see. But then it's United and no one. I mean, like, I guess I'm not ready to rule out City. I'm not ready to rule out PSG. Uh, yeah, with, with the Pochettino connection, although mm. they just re-upped with Neymar. Um, now we'll see what happens with Mbappe. If he leaves and an influx of cash comes back PSG's way, they'll have money to spend. And yeah, you could you could see that. That would maybe surprise me a little bit, seeing him go there. Um but yeah, the Pochettino thing for sure. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know, but I, I'm starting to I'm starting to come to terms with that happening. But you never know with Daniel Levy. Like he's been willing to play this game before with guys, and um, you know, keep got like Luka Modric was ready to leave. I think what two years before he actually did, or, or certainly a year before. So well, we'll see. I, I I think Andrew, you'll you'll look at it and you'll you'll think this was a kid who. Uh, was on the fringes of the first team, who was out on loan and could, didn't even really tear it up at Norwich or Millwall or wherever he went on loan, came in, became this surprise package and then became one of the, the best strikers in English football. And I think you'll bid him a fond farewell. Of course. It won't, it won't be nice if he's in England, that's for sure. But right. what are you going to do at this point? No, of course. I remember when Bale left thinking, oh my God, like, what do we do now? Here, here we are, Tottenham. And like, we had this guy who was this quality and he's gone. Like, how do we ever, how will we ever be good again? Like when, how will it ever get better than this? And then it Tottenham got way better than what they were with under bail. 
so who knows if they spend the money wisely. I, I don't know that I trust that, but whatever. That's We'll see if this all comes to fruition on another day. Finally, JJ, um, West Ham dealt a major blow by Everton um, with, with Newcastle beating Leicester City. You know, God, the, the pieces were there uh, for West Ham to really make a go of this. Um, and it's looking like this was an maybe going to be viewed as a really admirable effort for them to have been a part of this race a year after them finishing 16th, I think it was. Um, but it might be a bridge too far. And by the way, like West Ham in the Europa League, I don't think is such a terrible thing. Uh, I think that that, you know, it's still in a, the season, should it wind up like this, still be a, an amazing success for them. Yeah, they just have to make sure they get past the first round. Um, <laughs> although they'll be in the group stage. I remember last time they, they snuck into Europe just this random team from Romania that I'd never heard of uh, knocked them out. And I think it was their first European tie in the, in the, in the new stadium. So yeah, it would, they'll, they'll be, they'll be bitterly disappointed with what happened at the weekend, but big picture. It's not over yet. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, so that's about it for our look at uh, what's going on in Europe. We will continue to monitor, of course, as we, as we do. JJ, let's bring it back now stateside. Before we get to our jump to conclusions week, um, it's worth mentioning that the U.S. men named their provisional roster for the CONCACAF Nations League. Not really a ton of surprises, except to say that uh, Michael Bradley and Josie Altidore were not named in the squad. You can take from that what you would like to, whether that means that... Well, um, one player has not been fit, not injured, is not playing. And Josie... Yeah, so what? I mean, we can hardly go crazy about that. But he's not out with a, a long-term injury. We well, when when's the last time he featured for Toronto? So you know, I, Craig Berhalter is going to want to have players who he can guarantee are going to be ready to go, and 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 Josie's not one of them. Um, Michael Bradley, okay, he's had a busy start to this season. Um, played well in some games. Toronto have made a, an amazing start, and. Um, mm-hmm. We're not short of midfielders, Andrew. So maybe maybe this is a, a slow changing in the guard. But again, there's so much football for the U.S. to play over the next few months that this is uh, not really, you know, I I don't. There's chances yet for these guys to play. I would put it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I would agree. We'll see what they do with the Gold Cup squad. Yeah, um, if that's a blend of like the B C teamers plus some of the vets, like the like those guys. We'll, we'll see. Who knows? But yeah, I don't. Didn't there was nothing like that really like jumped out at me to the point where I was going crazy about it. So with that, then let's do it. We we have our mat here for those I guess who are new to the podcast. It's it's a thing we do every year early in the year for MLS and EPL seasons. Uh, we we have our jump to conclusions mat. We list five conclusions, and then we we discuss whether or not we're going to jump to that conclusion. So here it is, JJ. I have the mat with me, and I will uh, let's roll it out right now. You see, it would be this mat that you would put on the floor and would have different conclusions written on it that you could jump to. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready to go. Let's let's boing. Andrew. Okay. Conclusion number one. You tell me if you are jumping or not jumping. LAFC aren't as good as we thought they were. Uh, Andrew, I'm not jumping. I'm going to begin by not doing something. Uh, two draws, a win, a loss. Uh, that's nothing to get worked up about. And the things that cost them say in the weekend's El Trafico were the same things we've had reservations about with this team since they sold Walker Zimmerman. They dominated the ball. They pinned the galaxy in for long periods of this game. 
Uh, but defensively, they were completely unaware where Chicharito was on the opening goal, which, by the way, as an assist, was pretty new, unique. Derek Williams just tackled the ball to Chicharito, who finished brilliantly. More about him later. But um, the winning goal for Jonathan DeSantis was because of a turnover. When LFC, all they had to do was clear their lines. They tried to play it out. They lose the ball. So, look, defensively, not great. Going forward with the attackers that they have, with the players that they have, they're going to be just fine. So I'm not jumping to that conclusion. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm also not jumping. Um, look, I mean, we're talking about injuries and their importance. They haven't had Carlos Vela for three games, um, really four. He left the opener 22 minutes in. So like he, they basically have not had him yet this season. Their best player. They haven't had Diego Rossi for two games. Um, still obviously don't have Brian Rodriguez, who's on loan in Spain. So all of those things... You know, those that all is important, extremely important. Those are we're talking about some of their best players, and in Vela, we're talking about maybe the best player in the league. Um, you know, there there are some things that are worrying a little bit. It could get worse for them. They have the Sounders coming up this Sunday, which is not an easy assignment whatsoever. More on them coming up as well. Um, and they're not creating opportunities at the rate we've come to expect from them. But ultimately, they uh, their XG differential is actually fourth best in all of MLS, and their non penalty XG is also fourth best in all of MLS. So there are some positive signs that they can build off of uh, enough to the point where I'm not ready to say, make, make a, a conclusion like that. They didn't play badly at the weekend at all. Um, but again, though, Vela is the question mark. Like, so I, I'm not jumping today, but you may like, jump later, but well, if you know, what did he play last season? Like seven, seven games or something. Yeah. Like if, if he's just reaching a stage in his career where he's unable to give them you know, the amount of time that they need from him to reach the heights that they intend to reach, then that's another story. But like, as we sit here right now, I have no real reason to think that, like, I believe he'll be back. And, and when he is, they'll be really good. So that's kind of how I'm operating, but it's, it's certainly worth obviously monitoring his situation. Um, all right. Number two, JJ, are you jumping to the conclusion of we're staring down the beginning of the end for Toronto FC? Andrew, I'm, uh, I'm going to be very, very reticent to jump. I'm not jumping. I won't jump on this. The first two, we're not jumping. Until last week, uh, Toronto were fighting on two fronts. Um, so like four days after you take a really difficult trip to Mexico to play Cruz Azul, then you go and take on an inform Red Bull New York with no Pozuelo or indeed any of your DPs. So like that's the injuries have been a real problem for Chris Armas's team. And I actually agree with what he says here. We're coming together. We're close. We're getting closer. We're getting healthier. And when we have a full roster, yeah, I think we're going to be a team that can win consistent consistently in the league. I totally agree with that. And, you know, we often talk in MLS about the key, the key creative forces. Uh, Zellerian, Pozuelo comes into it. Maxi Morales, Pozuelo, they haven't had him. I know that makes a big, big difference. So I, I can't jump yet. I can't jump on a team that is, we know has a good roster when they haven't had a full roster together. Yeah. And, and it's not just even the roster. Like you said, not no Josie, Osorio huge, but Pozuelo, like again, that's, that's game changing. That's, that's a difference maker that has been taken out of your side through injury and he'll be back. Uh, so yeah, I'm with you. I'm, I'm not jumping either. Look, there's, there's reasons for concern. I mean, this is now the start, like, what was Toronto FC before Greg Vanny? And now this is Toronto FC after Greg Vanny and it's not going well. Um, so, you know, I get that like they're, they're, they could have fans who are concerned, um, but I won't call it the beginning of the end 
plus, uh, Jefferson Soteldo, their new designated player, came on as a sub, just making his debut this past weekend right. against the Red Bulls. So let's get him integrated. Like, let's let's see what he has to offer. Um, and, you know, it's funny. Even in the Red Bulls game, I thought it was – I thought it was interesting in that, like in the first 30 minutes, Toronto did things that I think you like to see. Like they, how many times did it feel like in the first half hour of that game, they forced the Red Bulls into making a bad mistake in their own end that with with like a little bit better finishing from Akinola, um, you know, maybe they go up one nil early on in that game and maybe it changes things. And then Toronto has the same thing happen to them. Like they, the first time they make a bad mistake in the 32nd minute, the Red Bulls are not so gracious and they go right back down and Frankie Amaya scores his first goal for New York and it changed the whole game. And then uh, Caden Clark scored to finish him off. So, you know, stuff like that, like forcing teams into turnovers, you know, the more they do that, the more they get good players back. I think I'm not ready to say that it's over. Certainly not. All right. So oh for two so far, haven't been able to use that Boeing JJ, but number three, are you jumping to the conclusion that Chicharito is back we, we need a noise for a U-turn as well, because I'm jumping on this one, Andrew. Um, he's just looked so much more sharp than he was last season. And like I said, at the weekend's game, the first goal he scored was a brilliant finish, but the marking was non-existent. But, you know, it was the sharpness. It was the alertness. Mm. And uh, the way he slotted at home reminded you of old Chicharito. So it's six goals, four games, very good. And the majority have been tap-ins as well, you know. He's been a fox in the box again. That's what you want to see. I know he's deadly from three yards, um, but but what else do you want from this guy? Um, he might be back for me, but he's not back for Mexico and Tata Martino. Um, so they announced their CONCACAF uh, roster, the provisional roster for the Nations League. Um, and uh, Chicharito is not on the list. So he's back and I'm jumping to that conclusion. But Tata yeah. Martino, who will obviously listen to this podcast, he won't be jumping. I'm jumping too. A big jump. Wee! A huge jump, JJ. Six Straight goals. into that dumpster. <laughs> Six goals already. Um, and, you know, I was thinking about him and the way things went last season for him with the Galaxy. Like, there's a part of me that feels like judging a player in his first season in MLS in a year like that is a little bit harsh. The pandemic like just bizarre season tournament before the season, bizarre training regiment. Uh, he talked about how hard the year was being away from his family. Said he talked about how he lost his grandfather. Said he called it rock bottom. Said this was just like the worst year of his career. You know, we, we say all the time, getting used to MLS can be difficult. Imagine trying to get used to it in a year as odd as, as that. So I do think that like, I'm willing to give him a little bit of a grace period because of that. And it's funny too. So, yes, last year was really bad for him. By his own admittance, it was really bad for him. And that was down to poor finishing, not necessarily just like he wasn't involved. His shots per 90 last season were actually higher than Giassi Zardes, higher than Zillarion, higher than Wando, higher than Chris Mueller. Uh, The problem was his shot on target percentage was dreadful. Um, 27.8%, like all the guys that I just mentioned there were in the 47 to 50% range. He was down well below 30%. So he was involved. He was getting some shots off. He just, like like you said, his sharpness was gone. Uh, and now maybe it's returning. So if we're going to say that, you know, one of these years is an aberration, I'm willing to maybe right now give him the benefit of the doubt and say that last year is more of an aberration than what we're seeing this year. So, yeah, he's back, baby. He, he looks a lot thinner, too. He looks in a lot better shape. So, Andre, clearly Pirlo has been on him. <laughs> 
Uh, all right, next one. Are you jumping to the conclusion that the Red Bulls are back? I was having a conversation about the Red Bulls the other day, and I am jumping to this. Hmm. Now, I'm jumping to them being a team that will give you a reason to go watch them. When, when, when the stadium fully opens up and you want to go see a game, the argument my friend was, was, was making was, why? Who, who have they? Who am I going to go see? Daniel Royer, you know, Aaron Long, a centre-back. But I think if you look at the first two results of the season, you would say, yeah, maybe I'm not going to watch this team. But Gerard Struber is working to a longer-term plan. And they're actually quite fun to watch. They're not the star stud line of past years. You're not going to see Thierry Henry out there. But so what? Um, watching Caden Clark's all-action performances, Andrew, is nearly enough for me to just want to go anyway. He's an incredibly good footballer. And incredibly, it's not just his attacking stuff. He can put in a tackle too. Um, his goal against Chicago a couple of weeks ago is already, well, it's my contender for goal of the season. It's just absolutely brilliant strike. Um, this is a solid team with some young stars, including uh, the new signing from Cincinnati, Fran Frankie Amea. Um, and there's some veterans, like I said, Long and, and Daniel Royer, who's still still capable, although he doesn't, he's not guaranteed to start these days, still capable of making an impact off the bench. Have they like great depth to be good all season long? I'm not sure that they do, but they're not dead in the water. They're not a franchise, a, a zombie franchise <laughs> um, in Newark. They're a, they're a team worth watching. You should go out and see them. And, um, and I'm jumping. I'm jumping. There are different Red Bulls, but I'm jumping to them being back. So I, I guess it depends what you mean by back. I agree with everything you just said. And I would say to your friend, like, you know, what is wrong with wanting to see Aaron Long? Like, I don't know. He's, and Caden know, Clark, like you can say they're not star studded right now, but Caden Clark is, he's going to be in Europe. Right. You know, like he's so, you know, there's, there are guys there that are definitely worth watching. And yeah, um, the only reason that I'm hesitant to jump is, you know, Look, I'm being kind of like Captain Literal man in this, but like it's just so early and I kind of want to see. So their next two games will be telling because they're going to play Philadelphia and then they're going to play New England. Yeah. Um, so if we're sitting here in three weeks after those games have happened and the Red Bulls have taken six points, yeah, then I'll jump. But I'm just for me to say to, to go all the way with it, uh, a new team, new coach, uh, young players. I don't know. I it's a long season. I can't say it just yet. Okay, fair enough. And then last but not least, our final conclusion. Are you willing to jump to the conclusion that the Seattle Sounders are the best team in the league? Andrew, I'm going to be succinct here. I'm going to jump. Uh, joint record uh, for the best start for the, for the Sounders through four games um, with uh, the, start, the start they made in 2019, actually. They've only conceded two goals so far. Um, they're good in attack. They're stout in defense. They're extremely well organized. They can go back to front. They can pass the ball. They're just really resilient. And I don't think it's a massive jump to say they're the best team in the league right now. And I know there's people in other teams. Hey, what about us? What about Columbus? What about, you know? I mean, look at NYCFC right now. Look at NYCFC, right. But I am, I'm going to jump with the Sounders are the best team in the league. Um, now, part of that is, of course, the historical bias over the last few years of their regularly being at the business end, uh, come the playoffs, but that's same, okay. That's, that's part of it, but also that they've made a, a really good start. That's equal to their best start to a, a season, uh, which happened 2019 is kind of pushing me towards that. Uh, like Thelma and Louise, I will join you hand in hand and I will jump. 
Um, for Fun all film. the reasons that you just said, 10 points through four games, plus eight goal difference, just beat their arch rivals, Portland. Granted, not without some controversy, but hey, things happen. Cue every Timbers fan turning this podcast off in a fit of rage. Um, <laughs> and like their schedule has been rough. And they started off with a 4-0 against Minnesota, 3-0 against the Galaxy. So, you know, props to them. And they've been doing it without Nicholas Lodero, who's had a knee problem, inflammation in his knee. Um, I think they hope this is not long-term. You know, it feels like before every game, there's like this, will he or won't he play? He has not played yet. But because of the start, they kind of had the luxury of letting him take his time. So, yeah, all of the reasons you said, all that, yeah, I believe as well. I think that they are, uh, I think they're the best team in the league. I will jump. So there okay. you go. There we should go. make one, one caveat before we finish. If we haven't mentioned your team, send us an email in the mailbag. Give us a quick reason why you think they are a team we should have talked about. I'm sure there's a lot of hipsters down in Austin who are like vibrating with anger right now. Or give us it. the conclusion that you want to see if we'll jump to. Right, exactly. Give us the conclusion. Um, and also, these are these. this is just a fun way of talking about the league. Don't get your panties in a twist and think that we are these are declarations that are absolutely solid and that we believe uh, wholeheartedly in them. Mine are. <laughs> uh, let's see. Do we have a mailbag? Yeah, we have a quick mailbag. Uh, Trevor gets in contact with us uh, via email, which is caughtoffsidepod at gmail.com. I'm really looking forward to the film about Sir Alex Ferguson that is coming out. What aspect of his life are you most excited about getting covered in this film? Um. I couldn't come up with one single thing. There is so much. Now, it's his son, Jason, that's directing it. So I'm, I'm a bit concerned about that mm. because I really want them to go into depth on falling out with Van Nistelrooy, the falling out with David Beckham and Roy Keane, the fallings out, Rocket Gibraltar, which we talked about last week, the, the whole argument which, with uh, Magner and McManus over a horse that basically ushered in the, the Glazer era. Um, there's so much, even his time at Aberdeen, like breaking up the duopoly of Celtic and Rangers in Scotland. There's, there's a million things in this, including his recent sickness. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and the secrets, the secrets to not the secrets to his, his success, but you know, he, he was such a dictatorial manager. We all heard about the hairdryer and that, but like, I'd really love to know what the, the real person was day to day because you can't go around life just screaming and roaring at people like that kind of, characterization of Fergie that wouldn't have worked so I'm just wondering how he got what he got out of United and also he made a dreadful start to his time at United after three three seasons uh, they hadn't won anything December 1989 he didn't win a single game in any competition how do you turn that round to be like overhauling Liverpool in the in the in the Premier League trophy count amazing so um, so many aspects to this yeah agreed uh, Mitch Carr I've heard JJ mention some vague level of disdain for Green Street hooligans. Uh, uh, his take on Ted Lasso is well documented. What fictional soccer movies do you guys like? What is it about Green Street hooligans that bothers you, JJ? Well, I'll take the, the last part first. It's just, I just don't buy it. It's just, I don't know. There's this, there's this kid who comes over, he's been kicked out of college, and the next thing he's in the West Ham hooligan firm like that. Like that, like a snap of your fingers. Oh, I'm into like he was at Harvard. I think it was intimated. He was at some Ivy League school. And and now it's like, oh, now I'm a, a football hooligan. Just because my brother-in-law is one. Or well, they're a making a movie. I know, but it's not. Yeah, I just some of it. Yeah. And there's a lot of moments in it which just kind of makes me cringe. 
Also, Charlie Hunnam is from Newcastle, who plays one of the main characters in it, uh, outside of Elijah Wood. And Charlie Hunnam's Cockney accent doesn't hold all the way through. It kind of drifts in and out a bit. It's not believable. I, why would you not ca- cast someone from the East End of London in that role? Um, so that's that's really... Uh, uh, what fictional soccer movies do you guys like? There are very few good ones. Obviously, Andrew's going to say goal. Love it. Andrew Only the first goal. one. Only the first one. The other two can go and take a hike. Um, I like when Saturday comes with Sean Bean, who uh, plays a, a footballer who rises all the way to the shot top with Sheffield United from being like an amateur player. But again, even that's a bit cringy. Even that's a bit like corny. There are no good fictional soccer movies. Did you watch, great. Um, it, it wasn't a movie. Were you a, a viewer of, what was it called, Dream Team? Yeah. It was like a soccer soap opera. Yeah, it was. It really was. I mean, football was incidental to that. It was, it yeah. was just a soap opera. Linda Block was the director. At, um, yeah. I mean, it was a bit of fun. A bit of fluff. But yeah. Lasso, re- coming back soon. I've seen the trailer. Yeah, we got to get Jason Sudeikis on the pod. That's that's what we're gonna have to do. Yeah, I'm sure he can't wait to talk to you. I serve at the pleasure of our listeners, Andrew. So if there's something that they like and they seem to universally like it, we will talk about it. How dare you? Um, by the way, I don't usually do birthday shout-outs, but I felt bad for Deepak Patel, who turned 50 two weeks ago or three weeks ago, and we I was supposed to give him a shout-out because he, he he did write this lovely email about how he listens to the podcast. And then the Super League happened. <laughs> so his birthday got passed by. All so, birthdays were canceled this year if they fell in that three-day window. Yeah, forget about it. Well, we, we, we canceled our families to record the podcast. So, um, so Deepak, um, happy birthday. And thank real, you for real quick, speaking of birthdays, you were proved horribly wrong that ESPN Pod Center would not recognize your birthday. They recognized it in glorious fashion. I mean, they, dug, they dug for pictures. Yeah, they did. They did. Um, awards show JJ is the picture that they obviously Googled. Um, yeah, thank you very much. Thanks to everyone who, who reached out as well, all our listeners who just so incredibly kind and said nice things. And thanks to you, sir, for tweeting about it as well. Yeah. Um, birthdays are a time of, of introspection for me, not, not always of joy. So it was nice that everyone uh, cheered me up. Uh, finally, Andrew, Joe Doherty. Um, <laughs> in case you guys missed the horrid rebranding happening in Columbus, he sent us the screenshot of uh, Columbus Crew. Ah, ah, no longer Columbus Crew. Columbus Soccer Club, as I understand. The crew part is no more. Now, this is their second rebranding, correct? So the original crest was all the guys wearing the kind of bowler hats. It was like a crew. Like a crew. And then they changed it to a more, how would you put it? Um, Corporate? Soccer, st- soccer style badge yeah, with, a big, right. with a C and a circular thing. And now they've gone, I don't know, this this... This kind of looks like a minor league ice hockey crest. I just wonder with this stuff, I guess I'll answer my own question, but like, who is this for? Yeah. You know, and the simple answer. So Brian Strauss of Sports Illustrated, he clearly this was a this issue and this happening was like a trigger for him. And he wrote he went in on Columbus SC and really like MLS as a whole. Here's how, oh. his, here's how his article starts. This is the first paragraph. Um, Since changing names and logos is all the rage these days, let's agree to tweak the meaning of the three stars in Major League Soccer's newish crest. Instead of club, country, and community, they'll now symbolize the principles that underpin the league's branding, its structure, and the message it sends to dedicated fans. They now stand for conformity, cloning, and cowardice. Wow. 
And, it, and basically from there, he goes in on this idea of clubs and MLS just kind of like being obsessed with global branding our global image on a, on a global scale. And it all like, as they do this as different clubs, it all kind of leads them to the same point and the same look and the same style and like just general sameness. And yeah, like all the United's and the United FC's and the SC's and now inter and blah, blah, blah. It's just like, just do you like just, this fear of being unique and of like being an American an inherently American soccer team. Like, right. no, we have to emulate an, an English style or, you know, it's just like, you know, th- what do they think is going to happen here? Like throwing an SC on the end of your name and changing your crest, like that's going to suddenly make you a global brand. Like it doesn't, the, kids in Shanghai are not going to be wearing Columbus SC kits around town. Like, so own, own here, like own Columbus, own Ohio. You've got FC Cincinnati to battle with. Like this, this thought, like it just, I don't know. I see, I see this sometimes JJ. And it's just like, don't you sometimes feels like, feels like there's this epidemic of too many people getting paid too much money and everyone feels like they need to justify their existence. Yeah, And they do that by forcing ideas that sound good in a boardroom you know, so they can like score points with the boss and like words like rebranding globalization, you know, taking us global, like, yeah, like that all sounds good in in a corporate boardroom, but like, who's it for? Like, is it realistic to think that Columbus crew or Columbus SC are going to be a global brand? No, do your fans like, right. No no one wanted this. No one in Columbus, no fan who was part of the save the crew. And I know they say crew is still technically part of the name, but they're Columbus SC crew is gone from like the visual title. Yeah. The save the crew movement. These people didn't want this. Like they're proud of, of what they did and, and they are right. And so like this idea that we got to go global, it all plays back into the, the super league stuff that we were talking about a couple weeks ago of just like, you know, ownership and, and look, the Haslam's and, and who was Pete Edwards, like they did a great thing at hearing the fans and, and keeping the club there. But like this rebranding stuff, you just if it's not for the fans, then who is it for? And the answer is them. I, uh, I also, and that's not what it should be about. I also think there's been a, a recent um, re a reselling of the old like the 96, the original 1996 MLS jerseys, which were were so strange and weird and odd and like lots of people want to buy them our friend Kristen Hennage uh, went out to buy like a 2000 era Miami Fusion jersey nice you know so there is that history there why don't you lean into that like when MLS started if you read the article on Sports Illustrated about how quickly this thing was thrown together the reason you got weird branding weird jerseys and all this stuff was because there was so little time Everything was done fairly quickly and rapidly. And it's not like no thought went into it, although some of them you wonder, you know, what, what was going on. But that's your history. Lean into that. Why do you have to change it? Like, you're not going to sell more jerseys in Europe because now you look more like a European branded jersey. It's not going to happen. And, and Brian says, like, with these, with these rebrandings, it all leads to the same road. Look at all these clubs yeah. that have rebranded. Black jerseys. That's like even Columbus. Now the yellow Jersey is gone. It's white or black. You know, like there is this sameness that has kind of just taken over the league. And like the few teams, like the LA galaxy are probably the, in terms of MLS brands, they're probably the number one brand. 
but like their name, Los Angeles Galaxy, that's inherently American. They're not, yeah. they're not changing that. Yeah. And yet, why, why does it work for them? But all but these other teams want to emulate a European style. You don't have to do that. But it's also, it's also some guy in a suit, some suit saying, oh, all American soccer fans look towards Europe and they want, and they want to be the same as that. And that's what we're going to give them. It's a, it's a classic miscalculation. Um, it's like they all saw the way we responded to like the bizarre manner in which MLS started out with taking penalties. And they're like, oh, they hated it. Everything must be European now. No, yeah. we just wanted the game to be normal. Like every the other stuff can be American, but like it's the am- game should continue just being the game. It's amazing that the the thirty second penalty or whatever it was from from the twenty five yard line wasn't the worst idea that's come out of American soccer in the last thirty years since that happened. Um, by the way, even even with like hype videos, all the hype videos are the same. Your community. This means more to you. Join us. We are one, but we are friends. We are friends as one. One friends. Together, marching towards the stadium in branded gear. Branded. Branded. Available now. Now. Holding flares. 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 Together. We are. We are. Insert your town name. You know, like all that stuff. Yeah. Be weird. Be, be unique. Be yourself. That's it. And lean into your local community a bit more. Talk to the fans about this because apparently none of the supporter groups were liaised with about it. Yeah. Imagine that. Hmm. Uh, well, we'll end on that note. Be you. Hey, because that's what's cool. Isn't that what uh, Ben Stiller says in um, Starsky and Hutch? I, I'm sorry. I've, I've literally been on autopilot since the vision of you being <laughs> standing inside a steaming yeah. hot dumpster truck being handed buckets of garbage to sort through. Oh, my God. I can't get it out of my head. Uh, we'll leave you all with that image. It's a beautiful one. Uh, our thanks to everybody for uh, for downloading, for tuning in. We appreciate it. As always, we'll be back with another podcast next week. Who knows? Manchester City could be champions by then. We'll see what's going on with the Aventus. We'll see what's going on in La Liga, MLS. There's, there's so much. It never stops. It just never stops. We'll see how many of our conclusions still prove to be true a week from now. Well, it's MLS. They'll all be useless by now. <laughs> Probably. That's probably correct. Hey, this was fun, man. To you, I say... Check you later, fun boy. See ya. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 